Dry Hills of Santa Clarita, California. It's time for America's least listened to podcast. It's Christianese with your blessing filled hosts, Jared Burkholder, Dan Satchoff, and Brian Irwin. Everybody, of course, that magical sound. The Hammond B3. Hammond B3. Bravo 3. Not to be confused with the Rhodes DX7. That's an electronic piano, Jared. That's that's different. That's a little bit too much inside baseball for music well, there. Well, you know what this is, though? This organ is the one where you have to put the pedals True. to actually get, get the sound, which I appreciate. And Barb has, I mean, we've said it before, right. she's got cankles. And she does, and she's an amazing organist, and also she, um, you know, I'm not going to lie to you, she just got a rhythm unit on here, too, mm-hmm. so she can do a foxtrot. Right. Uh, she can do uh, a little pop drum sound. Well, but did you know it's also connected to her pacemaker? Mm-hmm. So if she wants to get drive right. that beat in, she right. can. <laughs> hey, we have such an amazing uh, opportunity today to interview author Jay Warner Wallace, author of Cold Case Christianity. Jay Warner, uh, Jim was a cold case detective for many years and uh, was an atheist. Took some of the principles from uh, his investigative career and began to apply them to the claims of the Bible, and God actually used that to to bring him to a place of salvation. Uh, Jim now works as uh, an adjunct faculty at Biola, has written several books. Uh, We're just really excited about this. We are totally stoked, and uh, again, somebody who has got such a wealth of knowledge from the apologetic end of things, and he's a fascinating guy. It's one of the first books I read um, when I started understanding my faith was Cold Case Christianity, and it's just his his insights are amazing. We have a great interview coming up with him. Uh, he was just a great guy to talk to, and uh, so you want to buckle up and you want to stay tuned because he's got a, a, just a wealth of information. So, and one of the things you know we're, we're trying to do in this podcast yes. is is just equip ourselves and others about how do you live intentionally. Yep. In, in the world around us, right? So the conversations that we get to have with Brian are where we actually get to talk to somebody right. who, who doesn't believe. Right. And this is a great opportunity just to think about, on the other end of that, how is it that God led somebody to faith who was an atheist? Yes. And then what are some principles that can, that can help guide us to that? So, enjoy. We are so glad that we're joined today by Jay Warner Wallace, author, adjunct professor at Biola University, apologist extraordinaire. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Yeah, so delighted to be here. I think we're all of the same mindset, so it's nice to kind of have a meeting of the minds here today. It's going to be good. Absolutely. Well, a meeting of the minds, you and Jared, you can leave me out of that, Jim, uh, to be honest with you. <laughs> Sometimes mine yeah. works better than other times. Well, don't. Ask, but that's true for all of us, right? You don't want to ask. No one should ask. Uh, don't probe too deeply. You might find something there you're embarrassed about. So yeah, I, I get it. That so, is very true. Jim, uh, one of the things I want to start by talking about is is just your background because I think it's a it's a really interesting story. Um, so my understanding is that you were an atheist uh, for a while, but also working as a homicide detective and began to apply some of the principles uh, that you would use in your work uh, to the elements of Christianity and, and kind of God used that uh, to lead you to salvation. Can you talk to us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I was not somebody who was. Um I didn't have any Christians growing up that were really a, a part of my life. You know, I didn't, it's funny looking back and I don't remember ever even being asked to go to church. Hmm. Um, my mom was kind of a cultural Catholic. So that kind of meant that on Easter and Christmas, we might go to a mass, but I rejected that pretty early. Uh, I didn't want to be confirmed. Didn't want to do any of that nonsense. I just didn't think any of it was true. And she was not probably strong enough in her own 
uh, beliefs about anything really to resist that. So, she, so I just didn't, I just stayed in that position for all my, uh, young life until I was about 35. My wife was more interested than I was. And, uh, especially when we had kids, like, do you, do we, should we bring our kids up in the faith? Should we, should we teach them anything about God or, you know, well, I was, I was, I, I typically would have said no, <laughs> but if you want to do it, I am not going to oppose you. You know, I'll even go with you. And I wanted to do whatever I could to, to please her in that regard. I mean, you're trying to figure out how to be a parent to begin with. Right. So, absolutely. so that's really what got me into in a church to, to, to start. And the first time either one of us had been in an evangelical church, uh, we were, you know, in our thirties. Um, mm. and, the pastor on that particular day, and he's probably done this a thousand times, you know, probably part of his routine, uh, what he'll say about Jesus. He said a bunch of things, but one of the things he said was that he was this really smart, ancient sage. Uh, that intrigued me hmm. uh, in a way that a lot of the other stuff didn't. Um, yeah. But I thought if he's somebody who's smart enough to pass on something, I mean, I, I would have said that, okay, you know, ancient people might know it, things that, our human nature probably hasn't changed all that much. So if there's some, you know, you might listen to Plato, you might listen to sure. to Baha Baha'u'llah, the Baha'i faith. I mean, people from the past have something to say. Um, so I was interested in the words of Jesus, and that was it. But as I mined those out of the Gospels, um, I realized that man, those those accounts had some of the characteristics that I typically would see. Uh, working investigations where you have multiple eyewitnesses. I think for some people, they'll point to the differences in the accounts as a way of trying to discredit them. You know, hey, why don't these things match? Why why does one person say it one way and one person say it another? And I just think that it comes down to a certain naivete about how eyewitnesses um, talk, how they express themselves, how they describe, I'm telling you, eyewitnesses never agree. And this mm. thing could have happened two hours ago. That's so fascinating. A, level, a kind of an intuitive level of disagreement between eyewitness accounts that you start to kind of pick up on and learn. Right. And and that's what happened to me. I, I, I saw that level in the gospel accounts, and it bothered me. I was like, okay, so these feel uh, a bit too... Um, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just spent time trying to um, see how I can, you know, how can I test these? You know, we have a, a template that we use for, for eyewitnesses in criminal trials that we teach jurors so they can assess eyewitness accounts. Hmm. And I just felt like, okay, this is, um, this, this, and all the ways you would test an eyewitness under those, under that template, under those guidelines, um, this continue to pass the test. And uh, that's really what started me um, examining the accounts and taking them seriously. I'll tell you, the first time I read uh, Cold Case Christianity, that's what resonated with me, is that the way you compared it to a crime scene and ha being on the job as long as you were and having those skills and having that, that's what really resonated with me, because I'll hear that from non-believers all the time, is is how things don't agree. And when you when I read that, I was like, wow, that that really makes sense. Yeah, we don't. Why do we expect them? But you listen. You think that skeptics would have um, more, uh, be more comfortable with the contents of the Gospels if they were word for word the same? Of course not. Then they would right. say, "Well, there's collusion here. There's this is just one idea reiterated." Look, and it's not as though the people in the first several centuries could not have eliminated any apparent differences. Mm -hmm. 
And they didn't do that because for the most part there was, you know, why, why would you leave those in? Because they knew, well, what are you going to do? These, these are, these are true accounts. You can't, can't be changing the content of the accounts because um, you're trying to make them all sound a little less contradictory. Absolutely. And so they left them the way they were. Um, And I think that's good for us because what we do, the first thing I do at a criminal uh, scene, at a crime scene, is I ask the dispatcher before I even get there to make sure that the the, uh, officers who are on the scene will separate the eyewitnesses for me. Because if you don't separate those eyewitnesses, they will give you the exact same account. They will give you pretty much the same story. Wow. And you don't want the same story. You want all those nuances. You you want all those differences because those differences you get then as the investigator to puzzle those back together to figure out, well, why are they different? And what does that tell me about the it's helpful. You know, it's really helpful to be able to have the ability to do that. So, so I, I mean, I always embrace the differences that I find in, uh, in these kinds of scenes. Well, that's, me. that's fantastic. And I would tell people to anybody listening at home, make sure you pick up a copy of cold case Christianity. It's such a great starting point. You've got a great body of work, Jim, but I, but that is, that's a great place to start. So anybody at home, please pick up that book. Jared, what do you got? Jim, I'm always uh, fascinated. I work in outreach and in mission and I'm always fascinated to hear uh, how people kind of get through the process uh, of coming to faith in Christ. So would you be willing just to describe for us, as you examined that body of, of evidence, uh, certainly thinking about how long ago it was and all that, how was it that God took you from examining those claims then to being willing to hand your life over to Jesus? Well, I, it was a process for sure, because much of what we do in criminal trials is cumulative. You know, it's not that we have this one uh, body of evidence that ends up being um, so powerful. Um, it's not, or this one piece of evidence, you know, it's usually a collection of evidences that is powerful. So that took me time to, to mm. investigate, right? To, to right. make a list, sure. to start to look at what is the cumulative case for the reliability of scripture. Mm. And so maybe it was six months or so that I was just, um, kind of had a foot in and a foot out and, and really um, wasn't quite sure, you know, what to make of it. Um, but then once I was just, you know, so maybe six months before, and, and at the end of that, where, where do you end up? You don't end up with, with, with belief in something. You believe mm-hmm. in, you have belief that. Right. So you, right. you end up thinking, okay, I believe that. <laughs> yeah. These gospel accounts are telling me something true about mm-hmm. Jesus. That does not make you a believer. Right. Uh, you can believe that there are tr- claims in, in the Quran that will make you a Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I had to take some time then to, to shift my investigation from um, the case, really, for the reliability of Scripture, and look at it and say, well, what, what does it say? What does the Bible say about me? Mm-hmm. What does, I get what it says about Jesus. That's great. But what does it say about me? And when I did that, then now everything changed because now we're in, I was in a place where I could say, okay, um, it was it was my need when I recognized that I was the guy on the pages of Scripture described as that rebellious, fallen, morally imperfect human in need of a savior. Well, then I already had a savior in place because mm-hmm. I'd already done the work, already done the investigation that would help me to determine that Jesus was who He said He was. Right. So, so I did that first. And even then, I to the Susie, I said, "Hey, I don't know. I, I think I, I trust that these gospels are telling me something true. But what I don't understand is why 
uh, it happened the way it did, why God would have to die on earth. In other words, I didn't know the gospel, even though I came to trust what the gospels were telling me about right. Jesus. Yeah. Right. So I had to take the second step, right, to see, okay, well, what is... And that's the hardest step, I think, for all of us as non-believers. Well, two things. I think it's hard for all of us as non-believers to believe anything supernatural. Right. So if there was a claim, if there was an ancient claim about Jesus of Nazareth, but it did not include any miracles, mm-hmm. we would all go, okay, yeah, this Jesus is an interesting guy. Right. You know, we would accept that as historically accurate, mm-hmm. without question, based primarily on the fact that um, there's nothing there offensive. It's okay, so some ancient dude. Okay, so what? Yeah. Um, but what's, what's hard, I think, for us as non-believers is to accept the idea that this guy in history did things that we don't think can ever be done. Hmm. I don't believe people can walk on water. I don't believe in miracles. I don't believe in a resurrection. Anyone can come out of the grave. Those are things I rejected. Yeah. Right. So, so that was the hardest barrier for me to kind of cross. I think the second hardest barrier, though, is, is okay, are you going to be honest about who you are? Hmm. If there's a God who is so powerful that he can blink everything into existence from nothing, if he's all-powerful— he has the power to eliminate all kinds of imperfection, including moral imperfection. Uh, do you think you're morally imperfect? I mean, you might be good on a certain number of days a year, <laughs> right. but does any of us really truly think that we are morally perfect? Oh, right. man. It's the I truth. knew I wasn't. Yeah. And that, to me, was uh, one of the hardest things. That's a, I think it's hard for any of us, because that, that means you have to admit that there's a standard beyond yourself. Mm. You have to admit that you you don't you know, you're not who you think you are you're not the perfect being you might have thought you were i think those are difficult things for any human right. to have to admit and i appreciate you making the distinction there cuz I, I think you're right there's there's an element of coming to the facts of christianity and having to interact with them but there's a supernatural component to salvation right it's not simply mm-hmm. just acquiescing to facts it's that uh, God has to give you a new life. He has to tr- transform you. So um, I think that's that's great. Well, this is true. And I've, al- I've always said that and there's always a kind of a rub with, with people who um, are uh, interested in what we call a Christian apologetics, right? Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a tricky uh, word for a lot of people to kind of wonder what does that even mean. And, well, of course, what we mean by Christian apologetics is we simply mean that um, uh, we're making a case for why Christianity is true. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people— um, when they when they hear that they think well do you mean you think there's a lot of theologians who would say well no it's what it, it, you don't you don't have the ability uh, as a mere human to to be able to um, to uh, investigate and and discover if a claim is true anyway and if you mm-hmm. think you have that ability you will overestimate your own ability I've never <laughs> made that claim right it's the claim right. is that I uh, it's not as the I know without God calling. Without God ma- turning on the switch for me to make mm. me interested to even take the first step in the investigation, sure. none of this happens. Right, right. That's just the, the fact of it. None of it happens. Well, now, and what you say makes the case for the long game, too, Jim, because a lot of times I think as Christians we look at it, and boy, if we're not able, even in apologetics or whatever, to turn somebody on right away, it, it, it takes it takes a long time. It's the process of conviction of sin and, and everything else you've spoken of. We have to be We have to strap in and be prepared sometimes for the long game, right? Yeah, no, there's there's no doubt about that. You have to be prepared. Uh, number one, to to that that's absolutely true. But in the end, the question is how does the, how is the gospel communicated? Right. Look, if God if God's all powerful, He could simply snap His fingers and all of us would become believers. Right. We would just all. It wouldn't even need to have someone present verbally the gospel of salvation. God has the power to do that. Instead, He says, "I have the power to change hearts." 
but you will be involved in this because you were going to express, you were going to verbalize the gospel. And, and the only difference I see for me and where I stood was I needed the message of the gospel to include not just what the claim is, but why the claim is true. Mm. And I needed both of those things. I think that's one of the wonderful things about Christianity is Christianity offers that eyewitness testimony, right? It offers substantive evidence to the veracity of the claims that it makes, which leads people then when they want to explore that to find if something's true, then we would expect that there would be evidence of that truthfulness, right? Yeah. What's great about it is that um, it is a view, unlike several other theistic worldviews, that is based on a claim about history. Hmm. And if the claim about history uh, isn't true, and that's what's great about that, that the claims about history, in this case a resurrection, mm-hmm. can be verified or falsified. Um, they can be challenged. They can be tested. You know, you cannot test the historical veracity of the wisdom statements of Buddha. So that's why we, we have a different worldview. We have a different kind of theistic worldview that could be verified or falsified, and that's, I think, the power of it. Mm. That's awesome. I think one of the, the really cool things about um, the path that God has led you down is not only are you know you being involved in in the investigation work and in cold case work, but now you work as a, a professor, an adjunct professor of apologetics. You've written several books. Um, certainly, not everybody has your background and your training. So, what are some principles that you would kind of give to people as even as they would study the Christian faith for themselves, and then as they would have an opportunity to explain that and defend that before an unbelieving world? Oh, there's, t- there's, t- there's tons of, of, of kind of de- detailed things we talk about, but I'll just give you some very, very, very broad um, uh, things that I think will help us as we communicate Christianity to people around us. One, one of those is that, that people, um, especially in a scientific age that is um, dominated by claims made on the Internet, there's a sense in which I'd have to have a certain level of certainty before I could ever embrace this view. And we have to help people understand, like, what is the standard? What is the standard we're after? Because if you're, uh, if the standard, if you, if your standard is so high that it cannot be met, uh, you're not doing anyone any good. And the standard in criminal trials is not beyond a possible doubt. And people will sometimes say, "Well, I have some doubts." Well, get over your doubts, dude, because this is the case <laughs> in every single uh, investigation I've ever worked. I cannot right. answer every question that is offered by a jury. Right. And if a juror says, well, I, I can't make it, we ask this, by the way, when we pick a jury, we say, are you the kind of person who um, can make a decision, even though you might have an open question about what happened? Oh, mm. uh, you know, I'd have to have every question answered, I think, before I could render a verdict on anything. Really, then we can't have you on the jury. Right. Because right. you're always going to have open questions that we can't answer either side. Right. And so you have to get used to a standard of proof, which is slightly lower than beyond a possible doubt. And by the way, you don't know anything that you think you know beyond a possible doubt, because I can always find some way to level an imaginary sure. or possible doubt. Sure. Right. The level that we operate at as humans is reasonable doubt, beyond a reasonable doubt. Because hmm. you can always manufacture unreasonable doubts. Yes. The question is, are those actually based on evidence or just on some fear you have or whatever it may be? The standard is lower than you think. Hmm. On every kind of claim, even the most critical claims in jury trials that involve people's lives, well, the same approach is like as reasonable for us when we talk to our friends. If you think you can only trust that Christianity is true, if every possible question you have can be answered, 
well, then, yeah, I get it. You're never going to be a Christian. You're never going to be anything because right. you right. can't get to that level of certainty about anything. Right. So it's important for us to help our friends to see, by the way, if you can get that to a reasonable doubt, but you can have lots of conversations where people can say, well, isn't it possible that God would do this? Yes, of course it's possible. Mm-hmm. Anything is possible, but it's not reasonable. And then you yes. explain why you don't think it's reasonable. Mm. So a lot of times we're trying to like flood out and eliminate every possible crazy assumption, mm. every possible crazy claim. There's no need to do that because right. that's, that standard is too high, and it's right. too high for any claim you make. And I, I think it'll help you then when you start talking about God to, to keep the main things, you know, the main things. And, and that's, that's, I think, a, 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 one helpful tool that hopefully will help you have a conversation. Is it, remember, you already believe a ton of stuff for which you cannot answer. You don't even know how your car works. You don't even know what that ignition <laughs> does when you turn the key. I can second that. Your face in the driveway. You just trust without knowing exactly all the particulars, that you've got enough information to move forward. If you needed to be beyond a possible doubt, you would stay in your house and not move. That's right. You, you can't ever get to that level, and it's a frightening world if you're trying to get to that level. Mm. That's right. That's great. Uh, Jim, you know, we, we had you in today, too, because we, we you, you had an article that you tweeted out that I thought was fantastic, and the title of it was, How Do I Share What I Believe? The Relationship Between Low Expectations and Lackluster Evangelism. Jared, you had some questions. Yeah, I want to direct our listeners to coldcasechristianity.com. There's just some really helpful articles there. Great way to continue to sharpen uh, yourself as you think about reaching the lost. You know, Jim, on this show, we've we've talked a lot about um, the benefit of relational evangelism. You know, you look at Luke 5 and the way that Jesus often uh, ate and drank with sinners and was very intentional about just spending time with them. I love your emphasis here that there's the danger um, that that Christ, or unbelievers can have more of an influence on us eventually than, than we begin to have on them. So what's a balance there? How is it that we continue to build relationships that give us those ongoing opportunities for the gospel, um, but then also, like you talk about, uh, still, still be faithful, still be expectant, still be intentional? Yeah, I, I do think it started for me just one day I was at work and I was realizing that, 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 my, that a person I really care about um, who had been a friend for years, but really was not a guy. He, he identified himself as a Christian, to be honest with you. Um, but but he he didn't he didn't want anyone to know. Hmm. Um, and 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 then you know for a lot of years he fell away. And then by the time I met him, he was no longer a believer. Hmm. And. <laughs> Everyone knew this guy so well, and we're all cops, right? And we were pretty pessimistic, right? Sure. Um, it, we kind of had kind of lost hope in him, to be honest. Yeah. You might know someone like that yourself. Somebody you're thinking, hey, you know what? I wish this wouldn't be true, but man, Absolutely. I've known this guy for years, and it feels like he is just never going, or she is just never going to come around. And because I had really low expectations for this particular guy, mm. I found that I was starting to shut down any effort to reach him. Hmm. Like my expectations now were driving my behavior, you know? Yeah. And I thought, wow. Um, you know, I found myself just saying less to him, less and less about, even when there were opportunities where it was natural for me sure. to jump in and maybe talk about my faith or talk about Jesus. Um, you know, I might've been open with him years earlier when I first met him, but by the time, um, I, I, some years had gone by, uh, I just started to stop talking about Jesus whenever we were together. I just felt like, you know, I had low expectations for him. And now I was starting to become lazy as yeah. a result of my expectations. Hmm. So I ended up 
allowing my expectations to rule the day. Hmm. Worse than that, I found that I stopped even um, modeling. I, I was becoming, my character was starting to become compromised. Hmm. I started to reflect his behaviors and his attitudes, mm-hmm. his sarcasm, his cynicism. Um, look, we, we deal with a lot of crazy people in this Absolutely. job yeah. and a lot of really evil people. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not easy for me to to kind of hold out and and be the kind of person I'm supposed to be as a Christ follower. And listen, I was for 35 years I wasn't a Christ follower. So when I first started this job, if somebody irritated me, I didn't hold out. I didn't I didn't you know hide it. I I, I was pretty much a jerk. Mm. And I found myself reverting to the old gym whenever I was around this guy. So I felt like my expectations were so low for him that he's never going to be a Christian. So what's the point in even behaving like one? Sure. That now that I know that's terrible to say. It's yeah. not though, but you know, I'm and watching it, myself yeah. do it, you yeah. know. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And that that's one reason that it resonated with us so much is cuz you know, as a pastor like I know it's very unique to be a cold case detective and to be a a police officer that brings something with it, but I know for myself as a, as a performer and a comedian, there's a healthy uh, dose of cynicism, and, 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 and I have a cynical nature. We were talking even as a pastor sometimes, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yep. with everybody. I think that that can that's why it hit me right between the eyes this article because I've got several people like that in my life, and and I, my expectations have become very low. How do we? So how do we battle that, Jim? Uh, I'll tell you that, and, and so so you know if you're a public figure and as a pastor you are, you're a public figure. Right. Um, there's a sense in which uh, if you do this much time at all and you are out in pub- on Twitter, on social media, you're, you're out doing speaking events, you're going to encounter a ton of people. And sadly, what you realize is that um, there are some people out there that maybe aren't as stable, right? <laughs> and and you get cynical. Yeah. And, and so I, what, I, what I found myself doing and how I tried to turn it around with this, this guy who I knew at work was I simply kind of examined – you know, like, why do I feel this? Why, why have I given up yeah. on this guy? Why did I start off strong, but then over the years, I finally get to a place where I was pretty sure in my own mind <laughs> that there's no, nothing's going to happen with this guy. He's never going to become a Christian. And why did my expectation stick there? Right. And, and I think, look, it's, it's, if you've got somebody who's constantly pushing back on you or is constantly rejecting what it is you claim uh, as a Christian— I get it's easy to be discouraged, and I I can get discouraged, um, but it's a choice, and I was making this choice to be discouraged, this choice to set the bar really low with this guy, a choice to basically have no expectations for him, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, um, if I was really honest about it, it, it's because I didn't think there was anything more I could do, mm. and I was ignoring what potentially God could do. Mm. Mm. To the point where I was just at, like, okay, it's not going to happen. Well, under my power, it's not going to happen. Look, if you knew me at 34, and you asked anybody you knew Jim Wallace, and asked him, hey, do you think that guy's ever going to become a Christian? I guarantee you to a person, <laughs> everyone would have said no. Yeah. No way, that guy's going to be a Christian. I right, was right, the right. guy I'm talking about in this article. I was that guy until the age of 35. Susie will tell you that, my wife will tell you that, it, for her, it felt like that's about a, about a miracle that hmm. I ever became a believer. Sure. Because that just seemed like that was never even possible. Sure. Right. So for me, I, I, I realized at some point that my future expectation is not going to be dependent on what I can do with this guy. It has to be dependent instead on what God is going to do with this guy. In other words, I, I, was, I found myself putting um, every expectation about the future with this friend 
as an expectation about what I could accomplish with, with this friend, and not what the, 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 the creator of the universe could accomplish right. with that friend. Hmm. And, and that's, that's where I found myself saying, okay, there's the, there's the key right there. Hmm. Um, I'm denying the power of God here. I am getting frustrated simply on the, the fact that I can't do it. Hmm. Um, yeah. In other words, I'm acting as though I'm the only influencer in the room. Yeah, and I'm right. not right, and so that that for me started to change the way I dealt with this guy. Hopefully, you know, um, for the better. Also, remember, this is a game. I see this a lot, and I wrote a book called Forensic Faith on this. Where this is a, hopefully also will help some of your listeners on this. This is a game of baseball, and evangelism feels sometimes like a game of tennis. You yeah. know, like yeah. I swing, <laughs> hit the ball over. He swings back in objection. <laughs> I swing again, back and forth, back and forth. It's yeah. just me and the guy I'm playing with. That's it. That's the only people on the court. If I hit it out of bounds, I can't blame anybody else. Right. I can only blame me. I'm the only one playing here. Right. But the reality of it is, is that it's a game of baseball in which our job is to do our best to advance the runner. Yeah. And if you think the only thing that counts is when you see that guy run across home plate, a home run, well, then you're going to get frustrated. Yeah. Because you might have a day with your friend where you don't seem to have any impact at all, but you don't know. If you haven't done a great job of advancing him 90 feet, now he might be standing on second base. He hasn't come home yet, but <laughs> he might stand there, by the way, for five years. Yeah, right. But he got there because people are getting up to the plate and they're simply making contact with the ball. Right. And that's all you got to do is get up to the plate and make contact with the ball. Yeah. And if you, if you keep on thinking that I got to bring this guy to the of the cross and yeah. he's got to surrender his life to Jesus today or I have failed. <laughs> that's right. Well, then get ready for discouragement because that's going to feel like failure all the time because that, yeah, there's no doubt about it. That, that would um, feel like failure to me too. Sure. But right. it's not, it's, it's not failure. It's, it's, it, and by, by the way, it's also helps me to be modest when someone eventually does accept Christ in front of me, sure. that I'm thinking, oh, look what I just did. Oh, yeah. no, dummy. He was sitting on third, <laughs> right. he was leaning in the whole time, okay, because somebody else advanced him over a course of years. Yeah. You just happened to be there to hit him in. And so it doesn't mean, you know, in other words, it's helped me to be a little more modest about whatever I thought I was achieving. Well, if nothing else, Jim, you've inspired me to give up tennis for good and, and pick up baseball now, right. because right. I realize right. I'm, in the wrong, right. I'm in the wrong oh, sport. Wow. Come on. Either one, it doesn't matter if you play baseball or tennis, because neither one of them is a sport. It's a game. Okay? So, <laughs> oh, my right, gosh. I like the end with a zinger there. That's great. Oh, that's fantastic. Isn't that true, though? Come on. It's all be honest, okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Honest. Now, what you, it's, so, it's just it's a game. Every, everything that you everything you said resonates so much. You know, in, in my life, I catch that. I make God so much smaller, and I don't keep that focus. Like you said, the main thing, the main thing. And, uh, you know, I, I constantly discount God's power and think that it's, it's all up to me. And so this is really refreshing. Jim, we, we so appreciate you taking time out today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad to be with you guys. I, I, this is, this is, these are the most important conversations we can have with our friends. Hmm. Yeah. And sadly, um, we, are, we typically uh, relegate these to, to others. Right. Sure. 
Um, so I'm really glad that we're talking about it. Well, we'd love to get you back in sometime when Brian's here because he's our resident agnostic, and I just love to, you know, we're always interested in what resonates and what doesn't with him. And over the uh, over the time we've been doing this podcast, it's funny. There's some things yeah. that will kind of start to turn the lights on, but then overall, I think you know, like we've talked about, apart from conviction of your of your own sin and so many other things, it's just it, it ends up being a long game much of the time, you know. So yeah, and just being faithful. Yeah, and I, and I think it is like you said, it's easy to get uh, frustrated and to feel like, um, you know, like it's all on us. Um, I'm, I'm more patient now, I think, because I came to faith late. So even with my own kids, you know, I, I, um, I knew where I was at 21. I knew where I was at 30. Sure. Um, so, and I also know that God can do all kinds of crazy things. So uh, I'm a little more, um, a little less, uh, how should I say it, like urgent. There's a sense of urgency we all have with the gospel. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, I know we can do great things just by advancing the runner to first base. Right. So a lot of this is just my effort to say, okay, can have we done anything to it? It doesn't, you know, maybe just all we did today was we um, uh, answered an object, an objection. Sure. We, we we gave him something to think about. We, you know, put a stone in his shoe, as we always say. Right. Um, and if that's enough, uh, that, that's the first step. And then let's see where I go, what God does with that. So, Well, we'd love to have you come back sometime. And Jim, is there anything you want to plug while we've got you here, your website, your books, anything? Feel free. Well, I mean, I, I kind of feel like you guys in the sense that I, 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 it's, so, it's so easy. I just wrote a book about Gen Z, right? And Gen Z, if you look at all the polling that's been done about Gen Z, yes. this youngest generation in our country, almost all of the data has been developed, has been developed from marketers who are trying to sell them something. 99% of all the surveys are simply marketers trying to sell to our kids. That's right. And so I feel like I want to be very careful that people do not see Christianity as the something that Christians are trying to sell to their friends. Absolutely. So we have a website, uh, coldcasechristianity.com, and I definitely have a bunch of books that are listed there, but you know what? Don't buy those books until you've exhausted everything that's there for free. And there's mm. thousands of videos, articles, podcasts on that website that won't cost you anything. This is not about us, you know, selling an idea. Sure. But ultimately, you know, I don't I don't monetize any of my stuff online, including even my YouTube channel. Sure. I just feel like as an atheist, that's the thing that bugged me. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't want to be that guy now. And if you're selling books, you already are that guy. Sure. Be careful about that. (laughs) I feel like, hey, let's be careful not to become that guy. Well, I definitely want to encourage people to find out more about Jay Warner Wallace uh, to access the videos and the really helpful blog and articles he has there. Just visit coldcasechristianity.com. There's more about his books there. But that's just a great resource, especially as we would want to equip ourselves to continue to be faithful, to have the tools that we need um, just to interact with a variety of people in the world that we live. Jim, thanks so much for your time. Um, just wish you all of God's blessings. Thankful for, for the minutes that you spent with us. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, blessings to you, too. You're doing important work. Don't get tired. It's easy to get tired on these kinds of platforms. Don't get tired. You're doing great work. That's right. Plenty of vitamin B12 in this in this studio right now, That's Jim. right. That's right. Thanks, That's Jim. That's right. That's right. Thank you. That was great. Jay Warner Wallace, everybody. Uh, a fantastic interview. Uh, so grateful that he took time to call in here. We hope this was edifying for you guys because it he's just he opened my eyes to so many things. I mean, there, I, I love what he had to say about certainty and how he talked about the, the paradigm that they would give to the jury. Just understanding that there's nothing in life 
in which we have 100% certainty. Right. So then to try to take something that, that would never work in any sphere of life and apply it to the claims of Christianity or Absolutely. any worldview belief kind of thing is just a really ridiculous proposition. And I thought it was so interesting the way he said, if any of these claims, you know, A, the supernatural is hard for people to get right. get past, right. but also the reasonable doubt, mm. the fact that it's, you know, not beyond a shadow of a doubt. Right but reasonable doubt. And him applying his work as a cold case detective, uh, it's fast, fantastic and, and fascinating. Several apologists talk about doubt as kind of an inoculation, Yep. right? That if you have a really naive faith that doesn't understand not only the claim of Christianity, mm-hmm. um, but just also the way that we've arrived there. So if yep. you have a naive faith about how we got the Bible yep. or about eyewitness testimony, yeah. then you're really only one or two bad articles or books or interactions away from the foundation of your faith crumbling. But I love that reasonable doubt, right? That, that you can really wrestle with, here's what actually, here's how we actually got the Bible. Here's how the eyewitnesses claims of of scripture actually came about and to, to have an informed faith then um, not just for for others but even for ourselves right mm-hmm. to have a sturdier foundation right. to, to what it means to be a Christian right absolutely so there you have it uh, if you have any thoughts about this uh, this episode today or you want to suggest some more guests we're on a roll Jerry we've had two guests in right. two it's weeks not just you and me anymore hey right? that's kind of nice kind of <laughs> fun again uh, so if Jill you... let us out of the studio now so I'm <laughs> happy about that that's true if you guys uh, have any thoughts about today's show please email us at, at uh, blessingfieldhost at gmail.com blessingfieldhosts at gmail.com and uh, we would love to hear what you have to say next week amazing Kenneth Copeland is going to be in I'm kidding <laughs> he's got he's to pick which jet to fly in oh right? my gosh yeah he's oh, going to fly okay. in money one okay. I think he's going to land right on the roof uh, helipad we have here um, anyway this was a great one thanks for listening um, send us an email give us ratings on uh, Apple if you will and hey hope you have a hedge protection around you all week Blessings. Blessings.